I think most of us can relate to the frustration of being told that our prices are too expensive. Whether you charge $100 or $1,000 or $10,000, someone at some point has probably told you that your prices are higher than they wanted to pay. Being told that we are charging too much can be really demoralizing, right? Our instincts are to defend our prices by, you know, listing out all the reasons that we need to charge what we charge, or in some cases to (laughs) yell angrily that those too expensive prices that someone is saying that we're charging aren't even enough to make us profitable. But of course, most of the time, instead of doing that, we smile and nod and wish those people the best and tell them that you know, we're happy that they reached out to us because that's the professional way to respond. And it really is obviously the right thing to do. You don't want to be in a position of being defensive or angry as much as possible. But there are ways that we can potentially set ourselves up to not be in that situation as frequently. So today I'm talking about a concept that whether this name is familiar to you or not, is going to be familiar to you in practice. You're going to recognize it. It's called price anchoring, and it happens everywhere and all the time, including in your own pricing, whether you're actively controlling it or not. But actively controlling the price anchors that affect your would-be clients is a great way to reduce the number of your too expensive responses that you get, Again, whether you charge $10,000, $1,000, or $100. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Price anchoring, at its most basic, is the way that our brains judge whether something is cheap or expensive. Now, supply and demand influence kind of the basis for the pricing of most goods and services out there in the world. But there are very few goods and services that have inherent monetary value or worth, right? In the case of most things, including art of all kinds, there is no objectively defined cheap or expensive. It's all relative. We base our expectations about what something should cost on basically the cost of other things. And that's where the concept of price anchoring comes in. So if you're used to shopping at a fancy grocery store, a great price on steak there might seem exorbitant if you were used to shopping at a discount grocery store. The value isn't absolute, it's relative to the prices around it, right? But it's not just a matter of comparing prices. It also has to do with how our expectations become set. Most retail, you know, salespeople or sales um, companies out there They do not set prices based on the minimum of what would be profitable for them. If they pay, let's say, $5 for something and they need to make $10 in order to be profitable, why not just sell something for $10? 
Instead, what they do is they sell it for $25 and they put this retail price on there for $25. And so the people who purchase that item for $25, they end up with a $15 profit. And then if all of those things don't sell out, they put them on sale and they start out with a 20% off sale and a 40% off sale. But even if they get down to 50% off, they're still making a profit. But what's the difference for you between going in and seeing retail price $10 and thinking, okay, that, that thing costs $10 versus retail price $25 on sale, 60% off. Now it's $10. I'm Now my math is getting fuzzy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's a whole different thing, right? 60% off. Oh man, I need to get this. What a great deal. The only reason that we see that $10 as a great deal in that particular case is because the retail price that's been crossed out leads us to anchor our expectations at $25, so $10 seems cheap by uh, by comparison. Let me give you another example. So let's say you order a pizza that's listed on the menu at the restaurant for $15, and then you go to pay the bill, and it's on your bill for only $13. So, you know, the waiter comes by and you ask about the difference and they tell you that they discounted the pizza. Um, maybe it's because you didn't put meat on the pizza, so it's a, it's a smaller charge, or maybe they're running a special that you didn't know about. In any case, you're going to be happy about that, right? Like, yay, I saved $2. On the other hand, you go to the same pizza place, you order a pizza that's listed on the menu for $11, and you put the same toppings on it, and then when it's time to pay the bill, you see that you're being charged $13 instead of 11 So you're charged $2 more, and you ask about it, and they say, oh, well, you added mushrooms and onions, and those weren't included. And, you know, obviously you didn't understand that um, because you're surprised. <laughs> or maybe it's a matter of like, oh, sorry, you got an old copy of the menu. The prices have changed, and now it's supposed to be $13. Regardless, again, of the reason, you're going to feel annoyed because you ended up paying more than you thought you were going to pay. But the fact of the matter is, in both cases, you've spent the same amount of money for the exact same pizza. So price anchoring is not just in one direction or the other. It can be both. And then I'm going to add a third kind of piece to that puzzle. Let's say that you went to that same pizza place, but you were visiting from another country. And in the country that you're from, pizza normally costs $25. So in that case, the $2 difference up or down is going to have much less bearing on the overall sensibility that you have about the cost of that pizza than the fact that your price anchor is that pizza costs around $25 and you just got a pizza for $13. So really in either case, it's going to seem like an amazing deal. I remember when I moved from New York City to North Carolina, I went house hunting and I felt like, you know, king of the world. <laughs> In New York, I was struggling to make rent on this tiny one-bedroom apartment. I was in Brooklyn um, versus in North Carolina, where my same budget easily covered the mortgage, taxes, and insurance on a really nice three-bedroom three house. So, you know, rationally, I knew that along with the lower cost of living, 
also came more than a 50% reduction in my nurse's salary. (laughs) But emotionally, it didn't feel, it didn't change the way that I felt about the housing prices that I was seeing. According to Wikipedia, price anchoring happens when an individual relies on an initial piece of information offered when making buying decisions. And that initial piece of information is considered to be the anchor. And like I said before, anchors work both ways. They can make prices feel high or low relative to the anchor, and anchors can come from any number of places. They can be formed literally based just on the first price that you see something, uh, see for something when you start shopping around. So, you know, if you've never bought a dishwasher or a sofa um, and you Google dishwashers or sofas, whatever comes up first is likely going to start to set the bar for your price expectations. Now, what you see first might be higher or lower than average, right? It just kind of depends on which result happened to come up. But when it's the first one you see, that to you seems like maybe that's what's normal. Once you become educated about the average market price of something, or once you become educated about the different options, you know, you can get a dishwasher that has these bells and whistles or whatever, then your anchors start to get more fine-tuned. And certainly people are less susceptible, the the more you know about a subject or a product, the less susceptible you are going to be to, you know, predatory price anchoring strategies that, that do exist out there. But to some degree, we are all, sub, you know, we're all subjected to price anchoring and we are all um, influenced by it in some way or another. Hang on, guys. I have a quick message for you. Did you know that This Can't Be That Hard isn't the only podcast I host? Each month, my marketing director, Dana, and I team up to bring you a fresh injection of marketing ideas and inspiration on our other podcast called The Consistency Club. The podcast is free and available to any photographer looking to uplevel their marketing game, or you can take it one step further and join The Consistency Club, where you get the extended version of the podcast along with monthly email and social media templates, bonus trainings, and special access to the live marketing events we host twice a year. If you're interested in tuning in, you can search for and subscribe to The Consistency Club wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join us in the membership, you can visit go.thiscantbethathard.com slash club to sign up. Once you do become educated about the average market price of something, um, your anchors are also likely to then shift around a little bit. So um, one thing that I feel like is a pretty common understood example is if you're buying a used car, there's that tool called Kelly Blue Book, right? And that is just kind of a, an industry standard, an unbiased standard, supposedly, where you can look up the make and model and year of any car and it'll tell you what the what you should expect to spend. So it the Kelly Blue Book is attempting to give people a frame of reference so that, you know, if this car is in perfect condition, but it meets all these, maybe you pay a little bit more. And if it, you know, has had a couple of accidents or a ding or whatever, then you might pay a little bit less than what Kelly Blue Book says. Your anchors can also be skewed by your perceptions or feelings about money, right? If you 
are struggling with money, if you have a scarcity mindset about money, which by the way, can be (laughs) a reality-based scarcity mindset, or it might not be, um, you might be always looking for the cheapest possible option for everything. Um, Most people, I would say, don't look for the cheapest possible option for everything, but there are people who are sort of more tuned toward that. Um, If, on the other hand, you have an abundance mindset, which, again, may or may not be rooted in the reality of your bank account, (laughs) you may look at the average market price and you actually might be enticed to look for things that are more expensive. Um, You know, people have these beliefs that if something is more expensive, then it's probably better quality or it might give you higher social status or whatever the case may be. There's all kinds of psychological things um, that go into our pricing anchors. So this is not to say that always, you know, someone has an anchor and they want something that is that price or cheaper. It's just the, the reference point. Anchors can also be influenced by kind of situational factors. So, you know, maybe you're used to paying $20 for a manicure at home in London and you're on vacation in Thailand and you've heard that things, you know, spa services are much cheaper in Thailand. So then you show up and somebody tells you that a manicure is going to cost $18 and all of a sudden you're like, well, that seems too expensive. That's that is an example of your uh, a situation influencing your price anchor. Um, another example, I recently listed a bunch of items on Craigslist in, you know, like a digital yard sale kind of a thing. And a lot of these, I had sort of inherited them and they were nice. They were in more or less new condition. I just didn't need them. Um, so, you know, I wasn't trying to sell. It wasn't junk. And at one point, two women rolled up in a $100,000 plus SUV. So, you know, a very fancy, nice car. Um, And they came and looked through everything and they picked out a handful of some of really the nicer items and they said they wanted to buy them. And (laughs) they haggled so hard on the prices that I was giving them, which were, you know, yard sale prices to begin with. And their responses, I would quote a price for something and they'd say, oh, we couldn't possibly pay that, Um, you know, and then they would pitch me with 50% or less of what I was asking. You know, I'd say, how about $40? And they would say, oh, we couldn't possibly pay that. How about 10? (laughs) And I have no question at all that if those same women had found the exact same items in a store somewhere, they would have happily paid full retail for them. Um, But you know, when people shop at yard sales, their anchors are changed because they are shopping with the idea that they're going to be getting huge bargains. My point here is that, number one, we all rely on price anchors to guide our judgment of the price of goods and service um, services. Number two, those anchors can work in both directions. In other words, they can make something seem either less expensive or more expensive. And number three, anchors come from a wide variety of places and can be influenced by a wide range of factors. As a business owner selling services, that lack of control can feel pretty frustrating. It's especially true for those of us who are selling art because, as we all know, (laughs) pricing for what we do is all over the map. 
Most people reaching out to you will have at least some sense of what they expect to pay based on, you know, what they've paid for similar services in the past or what they have seen or heard about other photographers charging. Um, They also may be attached to a budget, which is an anchor as well. And depending on what the budget is and whether that's based on just their expectations or if it's truly more firmly rooted in their overall income and, um, you know, their, their actual budget, then, you know, that anchor may very well be something that you can't move. But when you get an email inquiry and you send back a pricing PDF or when you post all of your prices online, you're risking losing perfectly qualified potential clients because you're not giving yourself the opportunity to unmoor that person's pricing anchors. So what do I mean by unmooring an anchor? Let's go back to that uh, example of buying a sofa. So we all know that you can get a sofa, you know, for free on the side of the road (laughs) or in the like free listings on Craigslist, or you can pay tens of thousands of dollars for some fancy designer sofa. Prices for sofas are all over the map. If you have never purchased a sofa before and you just Google sofa prices, you know, some number is going to pop up first and Chances are that number or some average of the first few numbers that you see is going to create an anchor of some sort in your mind. But most of us are relatively savvy shoppers, and we know that the first few prices that we see could be a bad set of examples. So chances are most of us do at least a little bit of research before we go buying especially a high-ticket item, right? You go down the Google rabbit hole, you may go visit a couple of stores, maybe your friend has a new couch that you like and you call them and you ask where they got their couch and how much it cost. You're you're doing what any savvy shopper should do and educating yourself on pricing and all those kinds of things. And in the process of that research, a couple of things are likely to happen. Number one, you're going to start seeing things that you like and things that you don't like when it comes to sofas. Um, you're going to start noticing nuances and differences that maybe you had never noticed before. And second, you'll start to understand that beyond brand, there are some real differences between the cheaper and the more expensive couches. Things like the size of the couch, how it's constructed, what materials it's made of, how comfortable it is. (laughs) You know, I'm not a couch expert, but that education piece right? It makes all the difference. So your initial Google search might have served up maybe an initial anchor of, let's say, $1,500. So you set your your anchor there. But then let's say that in the course of this Google deep dive that you do, you fall in love with a $4,000 couch. And now that $4,000, everything else is being compared to the $4,000 couch. And in your mind, you have shifted your budget accordingly. On the other hand, maybe in the course of all of your education, self-education, you talk to your friend about that new couch and she tells you how much she loves the couch. It's amazing. And she found it for $800 and it's still for sale for $800. So, you know, now you're planning to go for that. The fact of the matter is anchors are shifted around all the time, but they don't just pick up and shift of their own accord. 
One way or the other, your potential clients are going to be affected by price anchors. You can just sort of be the passive victim of those anchors, which I think we all are at times, or you can acknowledge that anchors are a real thing that has real influence on whether or not people book your services, and you can choose to proactively guide them. Now, I want to be clear. No one has full control over someone else's price anchors. Guiding someone's anchors isn't about pressuring them or guilting them or tricking them or Jedi mind controlling them. <laughs> it's merely acknowledging how human psychology plays into purchasing decisions and then using that to tip the odds in your business's favor. So let's talk about a handful of strategies that can do that. First, Back to the pricing info on your website and the pricing PDF that you send when someone inquires. Um, <laughs> you guys have heard me talk about this before, but here is yet another set of reasons why I encourage you to put just basic pricing information on your website and then get on the phone with your prospective clients. Um, Unless you are intentionally set up as a low-cost photographer where that really is your point of differentiation um, and you have you know, a fully automated self-scheduling system and clients who specifically seek you out as a cheap option for photos, I strongly suggest that you limit the pricing information on your website to just a basic dollar figure that gives you know, kind of a sense of the minimum spending threshold that someone should expect to pay with you. Um, and then leave it at that. I don't want you to put a whole bunch of information about what that includes or anything like that. Um, you just say, you know, pricing starts at blah, and then you invite that client or that potential client to schedule a phone call. The basic dollar amount does two things for you and for your clients. <laughs> Number one, it helps pre-qualify the people who, um, actually go on to schedule a phone call, which you know, you don't want that awkward conversation and they don't want that awkward conversation where everything is going great until you mention your price um, and, you know, you charge $1,000 and their budget is $100. So that's just, that's a waste of everyone's time, right? Um, and then putting that basic pricing on your website also sets an initial price anchor for the person who does get on the phone with you. So if someone sees pricing starts at $1,000 and that's within the range of their budget and they're kind of wondering, well, you know, what do I get for $1,000, whatever, they're going into that conversation with that number floating around in their mind. It may not be a firm anchor, but at least it is a place where the conversation can start and you have some basic control over that mindset when they are starting the conversation. If you, you know, get on the phone with someone whose anchor is way too far off from the reality of your pricing, it's going to be very difficult to bridge that divide. The second strategy I have for you is one that you can try to convey via your website or social media or a pricing PDF, but which becomes infinitely easier and more effective when you're on the phone. And that is to set a value-based anchor before you actually start talking about price. So I go into a lot of detail about phone consultations in my Simple Sales Blueprint course because the most effective phone calls really do follow a particular structure. And part of that structure is asking the client about their why. Why are they looking to hire a photographer? Why now? 
Um, Why did your work in particular speak to them? Getting someone to actively think about the answers to those questions as specifically as possible helps remind them of the value of what they're looking for beyond just the dollar cost, which is a really good way to start a conversation when you then need to talk about cost. The third strategy is to try to avoid giving people only one pricing option. So you've heard me talk before about overwhelming people with choices and how that can be problematic, but sometimes giving people only one option is equally problematic. Conventional wisdom is that three choices is ideal. So, you know, that's why the simple sales system offers three collections. It's why in Revenue on Repeat, I teach a three-tier system for your photography membership. But even just two options could help change your client's thinking. It's kind of a subtle, but it's a really important shift that that concept is aiming toward. What you want is you want someone to go from the should I buy mentality or thought process to which one should I buy? You know, instead of a yes or no, it's a yes A, yes B, or yes C kind of a shift. And that one simple shift can make a whole lot of difference. And if you really only do offer one option for people, um, or if only one of the options that you offer is appropriate for a client that you get on the phone with, you know, you might consider pitching them with two different payment structures. So, you know, you can you can either choose to pay it all in one, you can do a payment plan, like those are alternatives to the multiple option strategy. The fourth strategy, um, and this is one that you almost certainly already know about, but you might want to dive deeper on and kind of frame in your own mind when it comes to the context of price anchoring, Um, and that is how you differentiate yourself and what you offer from the other photographers in your area. So let's go back to the sofa example. (laughs) So I fell head and heels in love, head over heels in love with that sofa that cost $4,000, right? And let's say that I know that my partner is going to pitch a fit, like $4,000, no way. There are lots of $1,000 couches out there that would be perfectly fine. We do not need a $4,000 couch. How do I deal with that? And I bet this is how most of you deal with the same situation, right? I am going to dive into research mode and I'm going to look for ways to justify the purchase. So the couch gets great reviews, check. It's made of sustainable materials. The upholstery is guaranteed for life, you know, whatever the case may be. And I take all those things to my partner and I use those to make an argument that this couch is different from the $1,000 couches out there. And therefore, you know, the price anchors that we had before I found this beautiful couch that I love shouldn't apply. You have to cut those anchors loose. This is a whole different thing, right? (laughs) I believe we've all been in that situation. Um, And a lot of the people that we talk to on the phone are also in that situation when it comes to photography. So they love our work, but Maybe it's more expensive than what they were expecting to pay because of whatever price anchors they came to the conversation with. So if they see you and what you offer as equivalent to the other options on the market, they are basically left to just use price as the point of comparison. And if your prices are higher, you will lose the business. 
most of the time. (laughs) Unless you happen upon one of those lovely people who appreciate things that are more expensive just because they're more expensive. On the other hand, if your client can clearly articulate why you are different from the other photographers that you're being compared against, all of a sudden it becomes a different equation. The conversation becomes different. They have a rationale or a list of reasons in their mind that they, if they need those to justify the expense to themselves, or if they need those to justify the expense to a partner or something like that, they have those tools. So without being pushy or defensive or dismissive of someone's original anchors, what we can do is educate our clients on the differences between what we offer and what other photographers offer. And again, this is so much easier to do on the phone (laughs) than it is with a PDF or a website page. The goal is to help that person release their previous price anchors so that they can feel really good about paying our prices. So this week, I want you to think about your booking process and where you might help steer people's price anchors in your favor. You can do that by setting up initial phone calls with prospective clients, by focusing the beginning of your phone calls on their values about photography, um, by giving them multiple offers or options when it comes to pricing and payment, and by giving them the education that they need to clearly differentiate your services from other photographers. And I just want to close with a story that I heard as I was finishing up the planning for this episode, because it could not have been a more perfect illustration of this concept. So last week, I was chatting with one of my students who recently switched from all-inclusive pricing to the simple sales system, and she and her family were at the same time in the process of relocating from Germany to Switzerland, um, where the cost of living is a lot higher, so her prices were going to be going up. And she told me that um, while they were living in Germany, she was still traveling to Switzerland and offering sessions. And was, you know, offering them at her old all-inclusive rates. So shortly after they moved, she had set up simple sales. And one of her clients from last year called her up and said, oh, you're you're back in Switzerland. Wonderful. Um, I want to set up a session. And she said, great. We need to get on the phone. My prices have changed. My process has changed. Whatever. So they get on the phone and they're chatting. And she talks her through the new system. And, um, and she said the woman seemed pretty on board. But her prices actually went up by close to triple. So there, you know, and for whatever series of reasons, she had to triple her prices. And that is a big price jump, right? Especially for someone who has paid a third of what you're now charging a year ago. So she tells the woman her new pricing. And at first the woman was like, great, great, great. And then a few days later, she calls her back and she says, you know what? Um, It's just too expensive now. And my student said to me, you know, I know this person and I know that the family has plenty of money. So, you know, I knew that that wasn't really the answer, but it was such a big difference. And I thought to myself, yeah, she had the price anchor. And this is a hard one to overcome where it's your price is her initial price anchor. So now the difference is, yes, she has a different system and there are some there are some differences, but going up to triple the price um, with the same person a year in between. That's a hard jump. So it was a price anchor issue. 
So that wasn't the end of the story. So the, <laughs> so my student um, gets off the phone. She says, okay, okay, maybe next time, whatever. And she gets off the phone and she starts to think about it. And she was in the process of going through my revenue on repeat course at this point. So she hadn't yet launched a membership, but she was planning to launch a membership and she was thinking about it. And she was like, you know what? My membership prices are going to be better than my simple sales prices. Um, maybe what I'll do is I'll just put together a membership option early for this woman and I'll call her back and I'll invite her. So that's what she did. She like quickly put together some options and she calls her client up and she says, okay, I haven't quite launched this yet, but you're a repeat client and I loved working with you and I don't want to lose you as a client. So I want to tell you about this new membership that I have. And she goes through the whole thing and she gives her all the options and the woman instantly joins as a member. Now, her original all-inclusive price, let's say that that was, I mean, I'm just going to completely make up numbers here. Let's say that that was $500 <laughs> and her simple sales therefore would be $1,500 because it's triple. And let's say that the membership was $1,200. So um, what happened was this woman paid the initial price and that was her price anchor. And then she was told the new price is $1,500 and the, the gap was too big for her to bridge. And so that price anchor ended up being the thing that, that you know, ruined the sale. And she said, it's too expensive at $1,500. But then what happened was her, her anchor shifted for that photographer to the $1,500. She was like, this photographer now costs $1,500. So just a few days later when she was offered a $1,200 package, she was able to instantly say, yes, I'm in. This is great. And she booked. If the very first conversation that this student had had with her client was, my prices have gone up to $1,200, who knows what would have happened? It may very well have been that that woman said, you know what? It's too big of a jump um, because her anchor would still be at the $500. Anyway, I share that story because it was like, <laughs> it was such a great example of how these things do happen. And, you know, as you think about this, I want you to just see, once you start thinking about them, they pop up everywhere in your own life, how prices are all relative and they're all comparative. And I hope that this is helpful and enlightening to you because, um, because I think a lot of us struggle with what can feel like a re really arbitrary <laughs> set of judgments that people throw at us about our pricing. And um, and although this doesn't 100% solve it, it does give you some tools in your belt um, to help combat it and will hopefully help you understand the fact that it is not a judgment of you, your art, or your prices. It is just a matter of the relativity of pricing. Hope you guys have a great week. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.